Hi guys, for the last few months, we've been asking you to send us your submissions for our upcoming book, Weird Parenting Wins. You know, all those little tricks that you use on your kids that you would never hear from an expert. And now is your last chance to get those in. We need them by Christmas. So go to weirdparentingwins.com and just fill out the form. We especially need to hear from parents of preteens and teenagers. And there are certain categories that we need extra help with. We've listed those at weirdparentingwins.com. And if you submit in any of those categories, you are way more likely to get your entry published in the actual book. Anybody can submit a weird parenting win, even if you don't have kids, even teenagers, because you can tell us a thing that your parents used on you, or you can tell us a way that you've manipulated your own parents at any age, even if you just did it yesterday. Now, if you're in any sort of group for parents, we could really use your help. I'm talking about yoga classes, music classes, book clubs, support groups. Uh, Maybe you have a support group for military parents. We'd really love to hear from you. If you are in a group like this or run a group like this, email us at hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject weird. And I will write you back personally and tell you how you can help us collect these wins. Come on, don't you want your people to be included in this book, which is going to help parents all over the world to sweeten the deal? I will be picking one group at random and I will Skype in to one of your meetings. So come on, email me. Hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject weird. And everybody else, submit your wins at weirdparentingwins.com. Do it by Christmas. And thanks. A few years ago, John Murray's mom died. He was grieving, and he needed some place to put his energy, like some place creative. John's a comedian, and he was like, I know, I'll write a sketch comedy show. And John has, can I say this? Yeah, go. John has two pitches that he might want to write a comedy show about. This is Sylvia Ozel's. John brought his ideas to her. Here we go. One is infertility, not mm-hmm. being able to have children, right. and the other is his mother's funeral, there which you had go. just happened Super months funny topics. ago. I mean, hilarious. When Sylvia heard the infertility idea, she was like, "That's the one." They were apprehensive about making infertility jokes, especially since at the time Sylvia was struggling to get pregnant. But Sylvia was like, "Let's do it." And they started writing a script. It's called Infertile, a sketch comedy show. It is about our respective experiences with infertility. Girl, you make me wanna get you pregnant. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, John and Sylvia. I watched a video of Infertile, a sketch comedy show, and it is super funny. Not just the writing, but also physically. At one point, Sylvia's on her back on a table, casually explaining her morning routine while getting a vaginal probe. Don't worry, it's nice and warm. This guy's been in vaginas all morning. John spends a fair amount of time on stage with his pants off. Uh, I was thinking of masturbating. Uh, You want me to do it in a cup or something that we can take to the doctor? You know, something we can, you know, do for the cause? No, we're good. Just put it in an old (laughs) t-shirt. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Today, John and Sylvia will tell us what it was like to take one of the most vulnerable experiences of their lives, reenact it on stage, and invite people to come and laugh at it. 
in Infertile, John and Sylvia play a couple that's having trouble getting pregnant. But in real life... No, we are not a couple. We are... <laughs> we are a fake couple we are on fake. stage. I would say that Sylvia is my fake wife. And yes. I don't think my wife has a problem with me saying that at all. I feel the same way about you, John. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel that I have to support two husbands. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. John and Sylvia met about a decade ago at Upright Citizens Brigade in New York, where they performed together in a sketch comedy and improv troupe. By the time John reached out to Sylvia about writing the show, his real wife, Veronica, had already given birth to twins, Maya and Jack. But it took a long time to have those kids. It was like a five-year kind of process. And it's just kind of um, almost in a weird way, these like shattered memories because of such the tumultuous road we had. John had heard through a mutual friend that Sylvia and her husband were struggling to get pregnant. And he wanted Sylvia to know he'd been there. He got it. But also, he thought she might be just the person to be funny with him about infertility. Why funny? Why funny? Well, because there just is like, one, there's a a gallows humor to it because you can't be miserable all the time. Um, Secondly, like, it's like the most awkward experience ever it's like moments after moments of awkwardness um you're talking about your genitals all the time you're talking we'll be talking about that more okay you know you're just you're doing things that you're supposed to be doing in private you know like i'm you know masturbating in a room with all everyone to get to that oh man Uh, hello i'm john and i'm sylvia the show opens uh, with john and sylvia together on stage there's another couple there too they're sitting on a bench making out super aggressively they look young, maybe in their 20s. Look at them. They think they have so much time. Fools. Pretty quickly, John and Sylvia start berating them for being in the prime of their fertility and letting it go to waste. You two think you're so young and sexy, right? What you do is not sex, all right? This is sex. Right now, uh, John is mounting Sylvia on a chair. going on there with the rolling how do i phrase this (laughs) (laughs) so one of the things that in theory could work in terms of when you're trying to get pregnant is after sex uh and the man ejaculates into the woman then uh, the woman can sort of roll up and almost into a fetal position in order to keep the sperm up there longer so the joke here is that i am rolling off as soon as john is completed and that he is uh, shouting up into my crevasse uh, <laughs> for the sperm to go away from the sound of his voice yeah. to go up towards the uterus. That's, yeah, the extra step that we added in. We thought the screaming would help things just move just along move a little bit. Just move the sperm yeah, away. Yeah, sperm always listen. They always listen. shouting. They're, exactly. Yeah, That's how they respond. Dudes, yeah. That's how they respond. <laughs> in real life, John and Sylvia started out a lot like that younger couple from this scene. They'd both always figured they'd eventually want a family, but... I didn't really think about it, though, or think it was something I want until it was something I couldn't do. Mm. Um, I didn't feel a biological clock, but then the biological clock was sort of forced upon me, and I realized, oh, this is something I I want. Right, yeah. I didn't really feel a biological clock either. My wife was like, (laughs) it's time. John was 28 when his wife told him it was time. 
Sylvia was 33 when she started trying. Didn't you have <laughs> didn't you have a doctor tell you like you should have got it started on this earlier? I had a, I went to a endocrinologist uh, a few years before we started right. wanting to have a kid yeah. uh, for a, a different matter and he happened to be a reproductive endocrinologist which I didn't realize and he you know he gave me his diagnosis and then he sat me down and gave me a lecture on how I needed to have a child right away because this guy spent his whole day like talking to women who were sobbing because they couldn't have children. And you were like whatever old man. I was so angry I, yeah. it felt very intrusive and offensive right. like why are you telling me what to do with my body because right. and then you know a few years later i hate to say that he was right <laughs> but he was <laughs> he, right he wins yeah he wins damn you patriarchy exactly doctors usually start calling it infertility after you've been trying for a year or as sylvia puts it a year after you've pulled the goalie. Pulled yeah, the, goalie, pull the goalie. As in stop taking the pill or took out your, you know, did you device know that or whatever. Friend? I did not know. Okay, you know cool. I, oh, okay. There great. you go, man. <laughs> Educating the masses in a disgusting <laughs> terminology. <laughs> when John and his wife pulled the goalie, they actually did get pregnant after just a couple months. But then we had like a series of miscarriages. Um, we had about like five miscarriages. Uh, and it was six if you count it, like a chemical pregnancy we had which means it didn't really uh, implant. So we, we, that's where we, we kind of found that, that was a problem. And then, so we did some e- exploratory after that. Now, a diagnosis of infertility doesn't really mean anything in particular. It's basically the doctor going, well, looks like you're having trouble making a baby. It's not really an answer. It's just the start of a long, arduous process. In their show, Sylvia and John explain all of this in a video with cartoon characters an animated test tube, and a Petri dish. I'm Pizza Petri Dish, and I'm here to guide you through the crazy world of infertility. With each step toward treating infertility, things get more expensive and more invasive. People often start with hormones, then IUI, or intrauterine insemination, also known as the turkey baster method. If you had insurance, you could afford a few bucks of IUI. Then comes IVF, in vitro fertilization. And did either of you consider adoption? Yes, uh, I would say we both did. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, safe to say? So yeah, we um, Veronica and I looked pretty. We, we took some steps. We went down, down downtown Brooklyn. They have a big uh, adoption convention or like expo um, each year. <laughs> adoption expo, exactly. Yeah, Sunday, you can Sunday, also, Sunday. You can buy a boat there too, which is <laughs> the crazy part. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, weirdly. So anyway, so we went down to that, and um, we found out about like you know these different classrooms are filled up about like, like different countries, what their laws are, and and it's the one thing that I learned is that it's as much of a process as a, uh, an IVF or anything else, and people are always like, if you can't have kids, just adopt, and it's like, well, it's not that easy, and with some countries to do that, you have to like uh, live there a year. If this if IVF didn't work out, that was going to be our next journey. And that who knows? I, I could have been writing a show about what it was like to adopt because it's it's just as much of a uh, a thing, and it, it's it deserves more respect than the flipping comment it gets when it's brought up in conversation. Can you each describe like your rock bottom moment with infertility? Mm-hmm. I'll let John answer that one. He's got a really so sad one. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the second miscarriage that that's where. Uh, I think that it was the one where it was like, this This can't be happening again. And I think that's the one I remember that my wife was on the floor crying and just kind of like uncontrollable. We had probably maybe just gotten back from the appointment or something. She just like flopped on the floor. And it was just like the extreme helplessness that I felt 
at that moment was uh, like was pretty devastating. Um, like, cause she was really, uh, like kind of, um, unconsolable. So I think that that was the lowest moment and not to sound callous, but you know, that's the second one. We went through about three more after that. And, um, in a weird way that like we were a little hardened from that kind of experience. It, I think really that, that was what broke us the most. I think that second one. And Sylvia, what was it like emotionally for you? I um I channeled most of my frustrations into uh, anger at the medical establishment, like having to call your insurance or the doctor's office and all those kinds of things. And I would get overwhelmed with that. And I think I was um, not addressing the real anger I felt at you know what, what myself, I guess my my uterus. And I think like that's that. a common thing. Is that a <laughs> lot of women are like my body is failing. That was yeah. I I did feel like that sometimes. I felt like, why can I, this is something I, that comes naturally that, you know, that people want to legislate away my right to do this and I I don't have it. I want to play another clip from the show. Sure. Doctor, uh, thanks for seeing us. I'm going to be straight with you. It's endometriosis. Oh, uh, but you haven't even done an exam yet. Who's the doctor you are? That's right. I am God. I mean, your doctor. <laughs> I take my infinite powers of healing and try to fix your tiny, broken, mortal wound. We're going to get a second opinion. Yeah. Okay. So this scene goes on to show several different doctors giving different diagnoses, and none of these doctors seem to know what the issue is. Sylvia, did you ever find out what the culprit was? We never. I never did. You know, I I, th- I think about this a lot. That in 2017, there's so much technology, there's so many advancements, yeah, and um, there are just so many medical issues that doctors just don't have an answer for. And w- one of those is often infertility. Um, it was very frustrating that um, that that nobody could give me a clear cut answer. How about you, John? Never, no. There's no. It's there's. That's that's probably the most frustrating thing, is that for the whole time we were like there was never a definitive answer why this was happening. Well, Sylvia, you were still trying to get pregnant as you were writing this. That is true. What was it like to be writing jokes as you were going through it? I didn't write so many jokes as angry screeds <laughs> at first, <laughs> instead of comedy sketches. <laughs> and luckily, John was a few years away from that. He had his uh, beautiful twins, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and he kind of gave me a lot of perspective, which was nice. Like, we don't need three pages of you just ranting about the medical community <laughs> or about your insurance. Yeah, mostly on the insurance. Mainly yeah. the insurance. Yeah, the insurance. That's the motivation, not the joke. Exactly. 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 Yes. 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 Uh, it was cathartic and nice. Eventually, I got to a place where. I I, um, I could start to see from the outside what would be funny about my situation. I know she has great ideas on how to change the insurance program of this country, guys. I, I have. Just, I'm running. For we had to cut out all the reams of that, but she has <laughs> yeah. great solutions. Just monologues. About exactly. It. You know, um, there's a lot, a lot wrong with insurance, and so he has ideas. When we come back, how to win at baby showers when you're losing at the fertility game, plus the adventures of traveling sperm. Stay with us. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) We're back with comedians John Murray and Sylvia Ozols. I think the thing that people don't realize who aren't going through infertility 
um, don't realize that it's like an everyday thing. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're going in to get treated um, with these more like medically invasive procedures. <laughs> invasive a, is the right word. It's yes. a daily It's a daily thing, right? Sylvia, can you talk about that? It is. It's all, for me, it was every other day. But yeah, mm -hmm. with IUI, you go in... <laughs> Every other day to your doctor, and uh, you basically like early get, in the morning. Early mm -hmm. in the morning, yeah. So it's it's a uh, the waiting room's full of women on their way to work, and so at seven or eight a.m. you're there, and you you get probed. Basically, they're taking a probe which uh, has a condom on it, and <laughs> because it's been in so many women, and they replace the condom every time, uh, and they put it inside your body, and you do that uh, every other day for weeks, I would say, until you're you know they think they're you're ready to have that turkey baster put in you. I sound so flippant when I say that. <laughs> There's also you peed on a stick every day too to like. That's when you if you early on when yeah. if you're um, kind of charting your fertility on yeah. your own. There's a fertility monitor, uh, and you buy little sticks that you pee on every day, and then you put into the monitor. So you you end up every morning peeing on your hands a little bit and putting a stick into a monitor. And right. when the little smiley face pops up, that's the day. Then you call your husband and you have a date night. You end up scheduling yeah. sex, which is the most uh, most romantic thing it's that you the can best. do. Yeah, the best. Do you guys have any tips for keeping sex fun when you're going through something like this? Oof! Wow, I like sex, so it was it's all good to me. <laughs> I mean, I was like, "This is great!" Like, we're getting to do this in the afternoon. Like, you know, I, I'm, this is just a window into me. We're finding out I'm kind of like a child when it comes to sex. Ooh, on the couch? <laughs> wow. wow! Let's do it. <laughs> You mean I get to do this again? <laughs> so that's me. All I guess I guess is is just keep a, a, a gleeful outlook that of what you had when you were a teenager. Just remind yourself that. Yeah, I I think that um, in our experience, our partners were incredibly supportive. Of right. Us. The same team. That is a good thing. Yeah. Same team. Same team. Maybe give each other a high five uh, during <laughs> exactly. the act. Yeah. <laughs> that's my tip. I mean, yeah. I wish I could be like we role played. Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> so many costumes. I was a private detective. It was oh, a, it's coming from somewhere. Exactly. You know, that was right. a Vegas too, show girl. Wow, too specific, right? Yeah, too specific, too specific John. Oh, man. <laughs> I got to say, I've heard a lot of people talk about infertility and what it's like to have sex when you're struggling with infertility. And I've never heard anyone sound as gleeful as John does here. And I think it's a good reminder that when you're going through something really depressing, it's important to find something to do that makes you as gleeful as this. Wow! <laughs> you mean I get to do this again? <laughs> so, <laughs> props to them. Um, you know, infertility is often thought of as a woman issue, like women trying to beat their biological clocks. Mm -hmm. John, how do you think your maleness came into play when dealing with infertility? Um, you wrote in an article about becoming the cliched man who's always trying to fix the problem. Right, yeah. Um, for a long time in the beginning process, I, I, I so was trying to take a bullet for my wife. I just wanting to get on the phone and like yell at a doctor, like, what else can I do? What, what do you need me for? And he'd literally be like, looking at me like I'm crazy being like, guy, I don't need to talk to you right now. Like the star of the show is like next to you. Like, cause like everything is going to happen in her body. So let's, let's talk to her in the end though. It is, it is a, it is a couple thing. It is, there is an emotional effect on, um, the husband, and especially in the fact of how much it affects your wife, I mean, it's, it's you start to be like, I just want 
someone to tell me there's something wrong with me. Yeah, like what else can we, what other grinder can we put my sperm through to find out some deficiency with it so that like I'm the problem? And that just made made me chase my tail like crazy where it was like I, but there was like I, I wanted to fix something that couldn't be fixed. When you start communicating about that and and take that kind of out of the equation, I think it's easier to work along as a couple and, and kind of uh, attack it together. Okay, so I want to play you another clip from your show um, about being a man going through infertility. And I should say, at this point in the scene, John is pulling his pants down. Uh, well, being a man and going through infertility is uh, definitely not as trying as it is for a woman. But it does have its issues. I guess the best way to describe it is that it's really, really awkward. Uh, it all starts at the doctor, where you have to go and masturbate to porn in a sad room. <laughs> okay, all right. So, uh, say it's sexist and misogynistic, but here it is helping me and my wife get pregnant. <laughs> oh boy, we're really not treating her well. Uh, let's turn that off. Okay. So, through like half of that scene, John, you are like pretending to masturbate yes. under a sheet. Yes, yes. Um, so not to get too graphic here, but what is it like to have to masturbate at the doctor's in a sad room? <laughs> Weird. Uh, <laughs> an understatement. Um, you show up at the doctor's office, and this nurse comes up, and she's like, let me take you to this room. And she takes you to, like, for lack of a better term, a little masturbatorium. And it's <laughs> kind of like uh, – it's it's as – to, to, you know, for those of you who might never have a peek of this, it's like a regular exam room, only they have a big lazy boy in there. And it has like the, the examination paper. It has, it's over the lazy boy. And then there's like a little, like, you know, the, there's like a little chest of drawers from what I remember, or, or like maybe by the sink, where she's like, open up that, that, that drawer there. And it's got a whole bunch of magazines and DVDs. And there's this, this old timey kind of 90s TVD where it's like a DVD and a TV together. And you put it in and then you, and you hit click, clicking play and go from there. The crazy thing of it is though, is that you have to wash your hands in general when you get in. Nothing can be dirty. You have to be sterile. And then you have to masturbate into a cup. Uh, and that's got to be clean, too, because if anything's uh, dirty, they, they can't use a sperm. Um, so what they don't tell you is, like, you should get everything set up before because I got everything all ready. I was ready to watch. I had put my movie in, hit play, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to go do the masturbating part and realized I was filthy from touching a dirty DVD <laughs> that everyone else has touched and had to, like, go with my pants back around my ankle to wash myself all over again and then walk over. Are you in there and you're like, oh, my God, how many other men have been in here doing this? Dude. Okay, let's, that one, two, okay, like I said, DVDs and magazines, they're supposed to be getting into a cup, right? Those magazines were gross. Oh. Gross. And like, I'm going to tell you too, don't, don't think that it's nice porn in there, everybody, where it's like, oh, the doctor's office, it's classy porn. It's like anything else on the internet out there. It's just like, but it really, I was like, man, these porn actors are helping me and my wife get pregnant right now. It's they like, had no idea. They had no idea. Like I, I got, Public service. Exactly. I had <laughs> sex in a swimming pool and someone filmed it. And there's kids in the world today because of me, you know? So if you're listening in the San Fernando Valley, thank you, porn industry. Thank you very much. That's just one weird, weird way of, of giving Tell your sperm. Tell me more. Okay, here you go. <laughs> All right, we have more. The other way is when we had to do IUI, they didn't have a masturbatorium, so here's what we do. I masturbate in a cup at home. My wife 
holds on to it in a car service and we race to the place and give them the sperm to then put in the turkey baster to put inside her. It's only And you're viable. racing because how long can the gotta, sperm... You want to keep that sperm warm and good. Yeah, yeah you want to get that It's only viable for an hour. Hour, there you go. Only yeah, viable in You only have hour. an hour to get there. I've never traveled with a jar of sperm anywhere, so that was a new experience. Uh, <laughs> so here's number three. They were like, we, we need you to send your sperm off to a lab. So... This giant box shows up in the mail, and I'm like, oh, man, what's this? I, a gift? I open it up, and no, it's the container to mail my sperm away. And I don't know if everyone's familiar with The Force Awakens, but it looked exactly like BB-8, the little, like, robot ball that like, rolls around. Yeah, like a little droid type Yeah, a little thing. droid type thing. So I basically, once again, <laughs> had to masturbate into some kind of receptacle, some kind of cup or test tube, and then put it into giant BB-8 and then mail BB-8 back off to somewhere where God knows where my sperm went so that they can come and give me results about that. Your sperm traveled so much. So far. So far, dude. I just, it's been, it's been just a journey. Is it just boring now? I mean, exactly. Yeah, totally. I'm just like, I masturbate now and I'm like, where are the robots? Where's the transportation? I need, I need at least 18 people behind a door. You're just, rushing it away exa- somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So I need, I need excitement, guys. It's been very sad. I imagine that you both had um, lots of friends who were having babies. Mm. Um, how did you react to other friends having babies? Uh, well, I mean, the, the proper way to react would be to be mature about it and let them know how you're feeling. And then, you know, if you're in a situation that makes you uncomfortable, you can extract yourself from it. Uh, but I went the opposite way and I pulled a Sheryl Sandberg and I leaned in. Uh, so I I happened to be invited to a lot of baby showers around this time because, of course, your peers are having babies and uh, I decided I was going to um, win at the baby shower, <laughs> and I would I would be the best baby shower attendee. So you know the little games you play at baby showers. Yeah. I was determined to win those, and I won a lot of them. Like what? <laughs> um, I I had a friend uh, named Risa, and mm. uh, she had a baby shower organized by her sister, and her whole family was there, and they had a quiz about Risa, the mother to be, and it was just sort of like little things, like what's her favorite TV show. And somehow I won that quiz. I beat her mom and her sister and her cousins and her very, very, very close friends. Uh, and I won I won a Starbucks gift card, which is, you know, I don't drink coffee, but hey. Pretty big win. The win was big. Nice. And I also went to another baby shower uh, where the game was guess what's in the baby food. They passed around baby food, and you have oh. to guess what. I like have you, you, ever, you taste it. You taste it. I yeah. have not. You've never heard of that. that? It was no. okay. So um, it was great. Uh, unsanitary, but great. Uh, so you pass around the thing. You taste it. You write down what it is. You all share the same spoon. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Weird party. Uh, but yeah, and I um, I cheated at that game. I basically looked at everyone else's answers and I wrote them down. And I that was my look. Maybe that was my what, low point. What you, what you win on that one? I didn't win. Oh. You know what? I cheated off the wrong people. They were all, all right. idiots. That's too bad. Sylvia says she was overcompensating a lot. I found myself making terrible jokes. Like I would say I'd... Oh, nope, I got scrambled eggs in there. And A, that's a a, a terrible, it's a cliched, terrible joke. And B, it's incredibly awkward for the person you're talking to. There's a scene like this in the show, too, where John and Sylvia are out to dinner with another couple, and suddenly John starts counting. One miscarriage! Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what is he doing? Two miscarriages! <laughs> 
Guess the character. Guess the character. Yeah, I think people know how to console like when someone dies directly, and they're all like, oh, "I'm so sorry." Thoughts and prayers, stuff like that. Where it's like, "Oh, we had a miscarriage," or even we're having trouble getting pregnant. People are a little bit like, "Oh, like it just kind of can like." In my experience, like kind of turned a nice a room a little icy, a little cold, and it's like your own uncomfort is the, the thing of it too. Is is everyone's uncomfortable? Everyone's uncomfortable. <laughs> you're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. So that's kind of what we wanted to articulate. In a minute, Sylvia and John's fate is decided by Jesus. Don't go away. Oh, you have your mouth cold, don't you? Advertisements. We're back. Sylvia and John say that when they did open up to people about their infertility, they'd get a lot of unsolicited advice. You know, like my hairdresser's sister had trouble and she got knocked up when she did. It's always acupuncture. (laughs) Always the advice is acupuncture, which is great. I don't mean to knock acupuncture. It works for a lot of people. It, It didn't particularly work for me. And also the big advice that everyone gives you is to relax, right? Mm -hmm. And um, which is, uh, it's almost like telling a woman not to be crazy a little bit. It's a little, it's a little sort of like, hey, not the right thing to say. Not at all, no. Uh, People think, well, um, you know, that's the way it is. When you stop trying, your uterus will start buying, (laughs) to use a (laughs) phrase that John wrote for the show, (laughs) which is terrible. We didn't didn't use that one, but it's... (laughs) I still stand by it. It was thrown out (laughs) in revisions. In real life and on stage, Sylvia and John's go-to coping mechanism is to laugh through the pain. But I will say I'm not a great actor. Uh, There is one moment in the show where uh, we have one moment of emotional manipulation in the show, one very sincere moment where I have to uh, convey how much I want this baby. Mm. Okay, Dr. Spandorfer, are we... uh... And I remember um, how surprisingly easy it was to channel those emotions every time. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, We'll let you know when we know our next step. Thanks, bye. I just want a baby. I know, I know, I know, I know. And even now, thinking about it, um, it kind of... I get you. It brings up that emotion very specifically. So... So because um, this is audio, Mm -hmm. um, listeners have been hearing these clips from your show without seeing you. um, So they don't know something that I know because I watched it. Um, (laughs) Sylvia, do you want to tell the audience what they would have noticed if they had been able to see the clips? Well, I I was hoping they wouldn't notice, but (laughs) yes. Um, uh, uh, We had, uh, during the time that we were writing the show, I became pregnant, which was lovely. And uh, we finished writing the show, and we put it up at the theater, and we put it up about once or twice before I became so noticeably pregnant that the show would would be impossible to keep going. Because in the video you see, I'm wearing a pretty big shirt, uh, and I think think it's pretty noticeable at that point. That was the last possible show that we could have done without it being completely ridiculous that I was talking about not being able to get pregnant. Yeah, I was going to Very, like, very clearly pregnant. What was it like to be performing that role of, like, the woman struggling with infertility while being yes. pregnant? Yes, it was completely <laughs> hypocritical. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. Never was I so happy 
yet minorly sad at the same time. No. We spent like, you know, uh, like <laughs> six months, maybe, I don't know, more uh, writing the show. We get it ready. We're about to put it up. Yep. And then it's like, I'm pregnant. Where I'm yeah. like, oh, great. This worked. And I was like, now we can't do this show. But the timing's a little off, Sylvia. <laughs> exactly. It was a little silly. I was like, you know, like really. And so, Sylvia, how did it work out for you? Was it intervention? It end? was not. I ended up, uh, it just happened through one lovely evening. <laughs> of a little wine, a little romance. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Uh, I, what happens to a lot of people, I think, is that uh, you stop medical treatments and then you end up pregnant the old-fashioned way. And that's what happened to me. And actually, uh, John's wife also became pregnant during the time we were writing the show. Yes, and that happened naturally. I can imagine a bunch of people listening to this just being so pissed. Yes. <laughs> and being like, yes. what? Like, that that cliche that the people say of like, well, you just had to relax. Like, yes. right. what yeah. do you infuriating? To, what infuriating do you have to that say to that? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it was. I don't, yeah, it was I don't a know freak chance. I mean, honestly, like you're you're talking about two people who were like, it's never going to happen again. Yeah, I also was a little enraged. I right. guess <laughs> the end of Infertile play is almost like a TV game show hosted by Jesus Christ. Actually, a kind of douchey Jesus Christ. He walks out, asks the audience to take a vote. So, by round of applause, who here thinks they should not have a baby? One person claps. What the fuck, man? By round of applause, who here thinks that they should have a baby? This is just a recording from one night of the show. John and Sylvia say, predictably, though, the audience always voted for the baby night after night. But the voting part feels arbitrary and a little sadistic, like up to the whim of the universe, which is maybe how it feels in real life. I mean, the, the one thing is that the ending of the show is truthful to like our life experience because it's actually what happened to us. Yeah, we um, lucky. So we got lucky and, and we realized that and we appreciate that because um, it's not always everyone's outcome. Sylvia's baby girl, Christine, is about a year and a half old. And John's twins now have a little brother named Luke, who's almost two. We know there are all sorts of outcomes to fertility struggles, and we want to hear yours. Tell us at LongestShortestTime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 147. We'll also link to resources there for people struggling with infertility. Infertile was originally staged at the UCB Theater, where John and Sylvia still perform. In those clips, you also heard the voices of Anna Caligari, Jackie Jennings, Ben Rameka, and Matt Rubano. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Kristen Clark. We had production help today from Jackie Sajiko. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov and directed by Allison Leighton Brown. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado, Antonia Akatunde, and Reka Murthy. Don't forget to send us your weird parenting wins by Christmas. Douchey Jesus will decide whether or not your win makes it into the book. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We will be back with new shows on January 24th. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like. And 
make sure you are following us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Longest Shortest. Subscribe to our newsletter too on our website. We have some exciting developments coming. We will be telling our newsletter subscribers first. And as always, we want to hear anything surprising that you have to tell us about your parents or your kids. Right now, we're rounding up a panel of uh, precocious teenagers to help give advice to parents of teens and preteens. If you've got a kid in the New York or LA area who you think could teach parents a thing or two, send them our way. And if you're a teenage listener, nominate yourself. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. There is a new podcast coming to town. It's called Dr. Game Show. This is a family-friendly podcast where we play games emitted by listeners regardless of quality or content. We do it with our really great comedian friends. And then we take calls. Werewolf Elton John. Contestants have to sing an Elton John song while slowly transforming into a werewolf. Can you hear the love to... Tonight, I'm a werewolf now. <laughs> Hosted by Joe Firestone and Manolo Moreno. Can I have that seat? Contestants have to persuade Manolo to give up his seat with their excuses. Hey, yo, Manolo, I need that seat. It's, it's your boy T-Bone. <laughs> what? I'm gonna uh, poop my pants, man. I, I gotta sit on it. Ew. Real fun. Real chaotic. You never know what's gonna happen on Dr. Game Show on Earwolf. <laughs> Stitcher. 